This is going to be a Bible study of what I consider to be a remarkable passage of Scripture. Now, I know that's almost silly to say because they're all remarkable. Anything that God has inspired and has been written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is a remarkable art, it's a remarkable piece of work. Um, but just as I've studied through this, and, and sometime I'm going to tell you what brought me to this study. It, it has no, no uh, connection to this particular text whatsoever. But through the course of some thoughts I was having, it brought me to this text that uh, took me a totally different direction. Sometime I'm going to share that other direction with you because it's a very interesting thought in my opinion. But uh, this particular passage of Scripture, we get the benefit of hearing a prayer from one of the most incredible Christians that has ever existed and has ever been known to mankind, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul gives us the benefit of hearing and reading and studying a prayer that he prayed for a group of people to which he mentored and, and established and, and witnessed to and brought to salvation through the working of the Spirit of God in their lives. We get to read it and we get to study it and I believe it's going to be greatly beneficial for us because I really think that it's going to help us know a very specific way to pray for others. And I think it's going to help us to know a very specific way to pray for ourselves. This is one of the prayers throughout the Bible that I have marked and every time I read through it, every time I come to this particular place, I stop and I pray this prayer for some people who might be on my heart at that time, but I also pray this prayer for myself. And as we study through it, as we get into this a little more deeply than just reading over it this evening, what we're going to see is that while it looks like a very concise, short prayer from the Apostle Paul, it actually is an extremely deep process in which he's entering us into or allowing us to enter into here. And so let's jump into this. If you look at your study guide, and by the way, uh, look on the study guide for the verses tonight. Generally, if you want to open your Bible or your iPad or your phone, whatever, but uh, this particular time I'm using the New Living Translation. I don't typically do that. But there were several passages, several verses in here that uh, were so simplified through the New Living Translation, it saved me a lot of time and work to, to build an understanding of what's going on for us. And so I went with this particular place. There's a couple of verses in here that I actually prefer the way it's read in the New King James, the ESV, probably reads similar in the King James. Um, and I'll point those out to you, and we'll, we'll see it accordingly. But... Uh, Let's read through these verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Paul writes, Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. 
I only pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. Now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is His body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with Himself. I want to break this prayer down into four particular chunks. You see a place for your fill-ins there. Let me just jump into it. Number one, He prayed with thanksgiving. Prayed with thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul prayed with thanksgiving. He said here, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And then he said, I pray for you constantly. Now I want to start with that last little phrase of verse 16. I pray for you constantly. This is something that I, I think we can't overlook, just how impressive it really is. If you've ever decided that you're going to start praying more, and uh, if you decided that you're going to get up early and you're going to pray for an hour, or you're going to get up early and you're going to pray for 30 minutes, or, or you're going to become a prayer warrior and you've got a cause on your mind and you're going to be praying for that, or you're fasting and during the middle of your fast you decide, okay, this is what it is, I'm going to seek God for this particular area of my life, and you're trying to pray through that fast, you understand what a significant thing it is to become a real prayer warrior. The Apostle Paul here is a real prayer warrior. This is a very difficult task he has undertaken. And yet what he's saying is, I'm praying for you constantly. Always thinking about you, always praying for you. I think that we would be so much further along in our maturity with Christ. I think that, that we would win so many more spiritual battles. I think that, that we would advance the kingdom of God so much further if we grasp the importance that the Apostle Paul has understood in this matter of prayer. Pray for you constantly. But before that, he says... And since I've heard about your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I've not stopped thanking God for you. He's talking here about a group of people that uh, he went and worked with for a period of three years. And he established them. Uh, many of them came to know Christ under his leadership. And now he's heard that since he's left, they didn't abandon the faith. They didn't... They didn't go back to their old ways, but they're still pursuing Christ. They've got a strong faith, and they have a strong love for other Christians, not just those in their church, but for those everywhere. And Paul says, it has just filled my heart with enthusiasm. It has inspired me. It has, it has benefited me to such an extent that I just cannot stop thanking God for you. That's also an amazing thought. In fact, throughout the Bible, we find several times the Bible calling us to this very thing. This is where I want you to, first of all, be involved. 
Can you think of a place in the Bible where it speaks to what Paul is doing here, showing thankfulness in prayer? Can you think of a place in the Bible that says something to that effect? I guess I better come down on the floor because i got to get closer to y'all. The question again is Paul starts his prayer by being thankful for those who he had heard about their strong faith. Is there somewhere in the Bible that would draw your thoughts to say, oh yeah, he's fulfilling a teaching of Scripture in doing this? Okay, so we're not on the same wavelength on this one. Don't let that discourage you because on the next question we will be whether you like it or not. Okay, so my thought is enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The psalmist is telling us here's a directive for prayer. Here's exactly one of the ways that I want you to enter and engage God in prayer and that's through thankfulness, right? Okay, so God wants us to be thankful. In fact, later Paul says be thankful in all things. There's really good things that are happening, really bad things that are happening, the mediocre things that are happening. And if he wants us to be thankful in the bad things that are happening in life, how much more then should we be thankful in the good things that are happening in life? And Paul is showing us that. He's a living example here. I had to stop thanking God for you. I've been thanking God for you from the moment that I heard that your faith is still strong and that you have a love for the believers. That's a pretty impressive statement, a pretty impressive example that Paul lays down for us. Okay, so we're told through the psalmist that we're to be thankful in prayer. Paul now gives us an example of this, but here's the next place for you to jump in. Why is that so important? Why is thankfulness to God so important? Help me out. Okay, it kind of puts things in perspective. We didn't do it ourselves. Say it again. Yeah, it shows, it lets us express how much we know God loves us and it allows us to, to reiterate or retribute that or turn it around and give it back to Him, I guess is the proper way of saying it. Okay, it shows God we don't take Him for granted. Now, I was thinking through this, and I really believe that, that it helps us just zone in on what's really important. Because what happens when something good takes place, and Paul could have easily done this, well, look at what I did. Man, I went to the Ephesians. Those people were, were just wild with sin, and now look at them. These people are strong in their faith, and... And they're still spreading the gospel. They're spreading the love of Christ to everybody. Man, I did a great job. And yet Paul's response is so much more proper. God, thank you. Paul recognized, I'm not the one that saved them. I was the deliverer of the message, but I'm not the one that died on the cross. 
I'm not the one that shed my blood so they could be forgiven. Had nothing to do with me. God, thank you. And I'm not the one that keeps them saved. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the seal over them till the day of redemption. I'm not the one that, that enables them to serve. I trained them. I gave them the benefit of, of my knowledge, my experience. But ultimately, that's the work of the Spirit of God through a submitted person. So God... I'm not trying to claim credit for what you've done. I just want to stop and say thank you because what you've shown me in this has encouraged me. It's encouraged me. I'm not by myself. There are other people taking up the torch as well. God, thank you for what you've shown me. I think it just keeps us in our proper place. So he says, number one, he's... Praise with thanksgiving. Number two, notice if you will, get ready to write, he, he prayed for wisdom and insight. He prayed for their wisdom and their insight. He prayed that God would give them wisdom and insight. Notice verse 17. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. You might grow in your knowledge of God. Spiritual wisdom and insight. Now, it's important to notice the word before wisdom and insight. Spiritual wisdom and insight. This is where I kind of like it read better in the, the New King James. Because it says the spirit of wisdom and insight. It actually means the same thing. It shows us the same thing. But it just draws more emphasis to the fact that this is a work of the spirit of God. It's not something I conjure up on my own. I don't have the ability to somehow gain this wisdom or insight through my own means. It is God working through me, through His Holy Spirit, to give me wisdom and insight. It is spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight. And He's saying, I want you to have spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight, not a worldly wisdom. That's not going to benefit you for the kingdom of God. I'm looking for something much better for you. I want the Spirit of God to give you wisdom and insight. And why? So that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I want you to grow in your knowledge of who God is. Now we've talked about this through the study of 1 John quite a lot. Growing in our knowledge of God. Think about it for just a second. What are the benefits to those who grow in a knowledge of God? What are the benefits for those who grow in a knowledge of God? Say it again. Okay, maturity. They're going to grow in their faith. What else? Peace. This peace that passes understanding, human understanding, doesn't come because I somehow build myself to be fearless. That is a fruit of the Spirit. Spirit of God working through me. The more I know God, the more I trust God. The more I trust God, the more I understand His promises. The more I can relax and have peace in my life in the middle of the worst storm I've ever faced. Because I know God is doing something. I know God's up to something. Is there anything else you could throw into this? The more we know God, what's the benefit? Say it again. Passion for others. 
Man, the more we know the heart of God, the more the heart of God ought to affect our desire to share Christ with others. Passion for others. Not just sharing Christ, but, but being a, a friend to others. Being a listener to others. Being a, a giver to others. Those who are in need, reaching out and helping them. That passion ought to well up inside of us. The more we know God, the more we understand how much He loves us, how passionate He is for us. It ought to cause us to be passionate for others. Is there anything else we could put on this list? Well, forgiveness. Yeah, that's a biggie too. Yeah, absolutely, forgiveness. Um, you know, just reading what God tells us through the person of Jesus Christ, that if we're not willing to forgive others, God's not going to forgive us. You read that and you learn the heart of God, you, you know what God is all about, and all of a sudden it begins to work at us, it begins to grow us, as Brenda said, it begins to mature us, to the place that we're able to do those things we never thought possible. Well, let's move to the other side of this now. Okay, if there are benefits to a deeper knowledge of God, which is what he's talking about, a deeper, more complete knowledge of God, then on the other side, what are the, what are the problems with not having this deep knowledge? What are the problems of not having a deepening knowledge of God? Okay, absolutely. There's a lack of confidence. Uh, we're going to see in just a minute more about confidence in a different aspect, but lack the confidence to share Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us that we're to be ready at all times to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. That more deeply I am rooted in my faith with God, the more deeply the fellowship grows with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, the more confidence I have in sharing because I have experienced it firsthand. I have witnessed the goodness of God to me. I have, I have been the recipient of His great love for me. And it makes it much more easily shared when that takes place in my life. Okay, What else is, is a detriment to not having, having a deepening knowledge of God? Okay, there's a lot of mistakes takes place. Um, if I'm not following Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your might, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your ways. If I'm not leaning on God and ex allowing the Holy Spirit to direct me, then who am I leaning on? Tom. And you know what I found out about Tom? <laughs> He's a pretty fallible person. And so when I lean on my own understanding and I don't trust the guidance of God in my life, all of a sudden I find myself in some, um, some bad situations. How true. What else could we say about this? We could, 
Okay, fear. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. We can reverse the other things we just said. If peace is the benefit, then a lack of peace is the detriment for not deepening our knowledge of God. Um, I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, we better learn that lesson well. We better learn the lesson well and deepen our knowledge of God. In fact, Paul is praying and he's, he's showing us how vital this really is. How vital it is for the child of God. Vital it is that we deepen in our knowledge. And the only way to accomplish that is through submitting to God, allowing the Spirit of God to guide us into truth. Because, again, this isn't something I can accomplish. It's the working of the Spirit of God in my life. He guides us into all truth. Spirit of God does. Okay, now let's see then, as we move now to the third point, how these begin to build upon each other. How the foundation is laid, the next set of blocks is put down, and they just begin to stack up here. Number three. He prayed for light. He prayed for light. While you're writing that down, let me just back up to say once again, as I said with point number one, how important it is for us to be thankful for what God has given to us. How important it is also for us to pray just as Paul did for wisdom and insight, spiritual wisdom and insight. How important it is for us to pray for others that, for our children, our grandchildren, for our parents, for church leadership, for your Bible study leaders. But how important it is also for us to stop and pray this for ourselves. God, grant me this. Give this to me. But then he prayed number three for light. Look at verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. That your hearts will be flooded with light. Flooded with light. What is he talking about? I want to read you just a short paragraph from one of the commentaries I studied through on this. A uh, guy's name... I guess it's pronounced Philo. It's P-H-I-L-O. Maybe you would pronounce that better than I would. I don't know how else it would be pronounced, so I'm just going to leave it like that. But listen to this little paragraph he wrote about this. He said, What the eye is to the body, the understanding is to the soul. That as the eye is not light itself and cannot discern but by means of light shining, not only on the objects to be viewed, but into the eye itself. So the understanding of man can dis discern no sacred thing of or by itself, but sees only by the influence of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. For without the influence of God's Holy Spirit, no man ever became wise unto salvation. No more than a man can discern any object, no matter how perfect soever his sight may be, without the instrumentality of light. Understanding is so vital. And Paul is praying for this group of believers that they'll have wisdom and insight or wisdom and revelation, as the King James, New King James puts it, revelation and understanding of God's Word, a revealing of God's deep truths in the Word of God. 
But it is here again the working of the Spirit of God to bring understanding to that truth. So he says, not only do I want you to have wisdom and insight, but I want you to be flooded with the light of the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want the light of the Spirit of wisdom and revelation to so flood your heart that you will get it. You'll understand. You'll understand. And you will have this confident hope. Confidence. Confidence that comes from knowing God on a much deeper level. Confident hope is, is what he's talking about here. And this confident hope is the knowledge that we have obtained eternal life. It's not some distant promise that may or may not happen depending on how good or how bad we are. But it is an, it is an, an, an already delivered promise. It's already my promise. It's something that I cling to. There is a hope based upon what God has already done for me. He's already given to me eternal life. God has granted to me eternal life. In my way of thinking, this is one of those wow moments. To think about me as such an undeserving person of eternal life. person who cannot earn, cannot achieve cannot pay for, I can't afford it, and yet God in His great mercy through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross of Calvary has extended to me eternal life. The problem is for all of us, at least I would have to think most of us, and I believe it was also the problem for the church in Ephesus because Paul is praying that they'll keep this confident hope. They'll have this confident hope. They'll understand how vital and how big of a deal this is. That it must have seemed to grow cold or a little stale. It must have somehow got entangled with what was going on in the world. To where it no longer carried the, the significance, the excitement. No longer just took their breath away when they stopped to think it. That God would provide them with eternal life. And Paul was saying, I'm praying that you will understand the confident hope that you have in Jesus Christ. I'm praying that this will not elude you. I'm praying that this won't grow stale and it won't get somehow warped by what's going on in the world. But this confident hope will em Embed your thoughts. It will be so embedded in your thinking that you cannot be released from it. That it will still be that thing that makes you go, oh, wow. As you grow and develop in your relationship with Christ. It is, in fact, my prayer for our church. That we get to the place where we understand what's really important. That we understand the confident hope Jesus has given to us. Now let's just stop for a second. Because we're not going to stop most likely. In, in fact, we probably don't have time to stop now. Let's don't. What's the benefit to having this confident hope? Once again, we go back to peace. We go back to assurance. 
confidence speaks it all. We have confidence in God. And this comes as a result of my deepening knowledge of God. If I don't have a deepening knowledge of God, then I'm leery as to this promise. Does he really mean it? Can he really do that? Does he know what kind of person I really am? But if I have a deepening knowledge of God, then all of a sudden, this promise takes a new light for me. There is a confidence in this promise that I might not have had otherwise. And so Paul once again builds. He says, prayed with thankfulness. He prayed for wisdom and insight. He prayed for light. And then number four, he prayed for understanding. Prayed for understanding. Notice verses 19 and 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So he prayed for understanding and understanding of what? He said, I want you to understand God's power. Because... Here's why this is important. As I have a deepening knowledge of God, my faith is going to grow. I'm going to have more confidence in what God is up to in my life. I'm going to have confidence in His promises, including the confidence of the hope of eternal life. And as I grow and develop in my knowledge of God and my faith grows, then more and more things are going to begin to happen. I'm going to be engaging the world more frequently. I'm going to be being the example of what a true Christian is. I'm going to be the example of God's love to others. I'm also going to come under greater attack from the enemy so that when God calls me to do something that is beyond imagination beyond my ability to see how it can occur, then all of a sudden he calls us back in and he says, now, as you're growing, these things are going to be happening. You've also got to understand God's power. Don't be caught off guard by this. Don't think you're out here on your own. You need to know about God's power. You need to know how, how this Stuff works. There's a flow of that power he mentions here. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't think we make enough of that. The early Christians did. The early church did. They, they made enough. They knew what a big deal this was. Everything in their spiritual life, everything in their eternal hope, everything in their forgiveness was based upon Christ coming out of the grave. But that didn't just happen. How many of you know someone that's been dead for three or four days and yet he came back to life again? I mean, personally, you've seen them. We don't see that often. 
It's not something that man produces. It's not something that man is able to achieve. And yet God in His mighty power stamped the seal of approval upon the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary by reaching down into the grave and bringing this dead body back to life. That's the work of God. And Paul was saying, I want you to understand the power that is available to you. As you do God's work, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't, don't think you're out here on an island all by yourself. Don't think somehow God's called you to do this incredible work, and yet you don't know how in the world it's going to happen because you don't have the money to do it. Remember the incredible power of God. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's also the power that restored Jesus to his rightful place. He's now at the place of honor, at the right hand of God the Father. Let me see a man do that. Let me see you do that. Let me see me do that. God would take Jesus, who had been rejected, who had been spat upon, who had been despised, who had been shamed, who had been nailed to a cross. He'd taken the one who made himself lowly like a servant, and then he brought him back to the place of authority. Incredible authority. God reestablished his position. And his, this, his position is not in dispute. He doesn't have an equal. The song we sang last, above all power, above all might. That's where Jesus is. That's what he says, verse 21. He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. What an incredible thought. The benefit of the church. Why did God take Jesus from his position of lowliness, from the grave, and establish him back in his place of authority. Well, number one, it was rightfully his. He emptied himself of that right to become a man, but now he's been reaffirmed, he's been placed back in that place of honor. But not only for that, he also placed him in this position of authority for the benefit of the church. Because in this position of authority, he has no equal he has no one that can overcome him, no one that can thwart his plans, no one that can prevent him from doing what he said. And one of the things he said, you may remember, I will build my church. The gates or the authority of hell will not prevail against it. Satan thinks he has a power. Satan thinks he has authority to prevent us from doing what God has called us to. He may discourage us. He may slow us. But if God has called us to something, He can't stop us. Because the authority of Jesus Christ is far greater than the authority of the gates of hell. There's nothing they have over Him. Jesus said it correctly. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth need to know about this power and how important it is that we take time not only to pray for ourselves 
And we ask God to grant us an understanding of this power. That we also pray it for others. Pray it for your church leaders. How deeply we need to know this. God is calling us, I believe, to be much more committed to our theme of the year, theme of prayer and fasting. And here's one way we engage that time of prayer. Paul's laid it out for us. He's given us a great example. And he says, now, follow it. Let's turn it into habit this week. Thank you.